the Thunder has a reputation as one of the most locked down franchises in the NBA. Maybe, maybe the most locked down. Fort Knox when it comes to media leaks. And look, it's not unearned. If you think about watching the NBA draft every year and seeing Woj and Shams consistently stumped by one team's picks, you start to see maybe there's something to this. But on Wednesday, GM Sam Presti will meet with reporters, and it'll probably be one of like four times he'll do it in the next year. Preseason, after the season, following the draft, and then when the team introduces its draft picks. He might throw in more if there's a big trade or free agent signing. Compare that to, say, Leon Rose of the New York Knicks, who never does media. So much so that it's a fight between the team and the reporters who cover it. And when I say fight, I mean like a fight between Brock Lesnar and me, and then only one side ever has a chance to win. So relatively speaking, Presti is pretty available, and he'll genuinely tell you things. He'll give you some sense of where the Thunder rebuild is, what might come next. He's probably good for a decent analogy. You might remember in April when he compared jumping the gun on a big trade right now to buying the paint for a house before you pick out the house itself. We don't know exactly what Sam will say, but we have a pretty good sense of what he won't. He's not going to give us a number of wins the team needs to get to or a round of the playoffs it needs to reach to feel like the rebuild is on target. He's a process over results guy. So much so that I know it bothers some fans who think because he's so fixated on process that he doesn't care about the results, like he doesn't care about winning, which whatever. Your mileage may vary on whether the franchise has won big enough on Presti's watch or whether it's set up to do that again moving forward, but the track record is pretty great and the early returns on this roster are pretty good too. So with training camp right around the corner, media day next week and Presti meeting with reporters Wednesday, I felt like a good time to talk about well, what we might talk about in the coming week, what questions might be asked and answered these next few days. So we'll do that today. Let's call it our Presti preview with my sellout crowd colleague, John Hamm. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. So, John, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but first I want to talk for a minute about Barry Trammell. There's a bunch of cool stuff about Barry Trammell, who I worked with at the Oklahoman and I'm working with again here at Sellout Crowd. He's a sports writing legend in Oklahoma. He's a font of knowledge about all the teams in the state. He's a great storyteller. He's an even better giver of nicknames. Um, but a very cool thing I learned about him this week is that Barry has given blood 278 times in his life, which is, I think, 277 more times than I have given blood. So that is a number worth celebrating and also worth trying to beat. So here at Hurt Thundering and Sellout Crowd, we teamed up with the Bob Moore Auto Group and the Oklahoma Blood Institute for a terrific cause. We're encouraging you to be like Barry. This week, when you donate blood at any Oklahoma Blood Institute location or Bob Moore Auto Group location, you'll not only help save lives, but you'll get a chance to win a new Kia Soul from Bob Moore Auto Group. That is a win-win. So now through September 30th, we're asking Oklahoma City to come together, show your community spirit, and make a difference. If you visit selloutcrowd.com slash OBI, you can get more details on how to sign up, where and when to donate, and give back to your local community in a big way. We'd love it if you would join us in this incredible partnership between Sellout Crowd, Bob Moore Auto Group, and Oklahoma Blood Institute. Donate blood this week, and let's make an impact together. Visit selloutcrowd.com slash OBI today to reserve your spot. So, Ham, you going to give blood? Uh, it is under consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I won't put you on the spot any more than that. So you and I are podcasting together for the, I don't know, millionth time, 200,000th time. If something. you round down, yeah, that's about right. Yep. And also kind of the first time uh, in a way, because it's our first time getting together for Sell Out Crowd. It will not be the last. We will do quite a bit of this, I think. Um, 
But I wanted to kind of get together and talk a little bit about, look, there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk to Sam Presti about on Wednesday, a lot of stuff that'll come up on Media Day uh, next week. Um, but it's kind of just a way it's, I mean, some people would say, boy, it's a really slow time in the NBA if you're previewing press conferences. And what I would say to you is, yes, that is true. This is the last very slow time in the NBA. That's it, it, It's really slow right now, but it's about to get really fast. And so, you know, I know a lot of people have done kind of things, what might come up at media days and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about some of the things that interest us that, um, you know, we want to ask or we want to hear asked and want to hear answered. So. I have done a bunch of talking and I'm going to let you do a little bit here in just a second. And I want to start off with, you know, there's a phrase I, that kept going through my head. Um, I, I watched, I wasn't really covering the team when Sam Presti did his April press conference. It's kind of like, let's wrap up the season. But the phrase that went through my head after he did it was um, the summer of internal development, which is, uh, was supposed to be like 2017, right? When uh, yes. Presti got up in front of everybody and said, we're just going to have to increment. Everybody's got to get a little better, and that's going to make us better as a team. And then what he went and did instead was get Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Uh, that's not going to happen uh, this summer. They're not, they didn't do that kind of thing this summer. This really is a summer of internal development. And so I think that will come up. I think that's going to be one of the things people are going to talk about is how does a core that changed in one really significant way but other than that, just changed by getting a little older. How is it going to get better, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's also a good lesson for people that there's an overall plan that they intend to stick to, but there's always an unless, and we don't know what that is. Yeah. We, we don't know. There's a potential off-ramp that if, they, if, if it came the Thunder's direction, they would off-ramp this internal development and go a different way. Um, that happened back in 2017. You know, I probably they they were not fully expecting that to come together. Um, but as far as you know, this season, I think you're right. Most likely, you know, the team is going in with the crew from last season, uh, more seasoned, more developed, uh, not as deer in the headlights. And ideally, that means you're going to see internal improvement as part of that. And I, I think that's sort of what OKC has been banking on, where they could have gone into the off season and you know, went and made a, a splashy move, potentially, if the said player was willing to come to Oklahoma City. That's another part of the equation. But, you know, could they have made a splashy acquisition? Possibly. Um, but that would also take away some valuable possessions for Giddy and J-Dub and Chet and probably not Shea at this point. I think those possessions are pretty well entrenched. Um, and so it's it, it's a fine bet to make, considering, again, the quality of talent that is on the team right now. Yeah. One of the things Sam said in April that I think he'll talk about again this week is, I mean, it's a no brainer, right? The, the thing you've done is you've added the number two pick in the draft from a year ago. Um, mm -hmm. Chet Holmgren is going to be on the team and we've seen Chet in summer league games and we've seen Chet in like what a minute of a, a game against LeBron uh, in the summer that, that didn't last very long because it's the game in which mm -hmm. he got injured. Um, Chet's reputation is really building among players, which I find fascinating. Like NBA players seem to be pretty excited about Chet. Um, but I think one of the things we're going to talk about probably in the next week, and I think will be a storyline in camp and is going to be a storyline in preseason, is Chet is a really good player. And if you look on paper, he really fills a couple of holes. If you're listening to, if you listen to um, the Hoop Collective this week, they talk about this. And it's not like Tim McMahon is breaking new ground here. But Chet does the things they didn't do very well last year. He immediately gives you kind of a rim protector. Um, he gives you this lob threat 
pick and roll guy who can also be a pick and pop guy and maybe address some of your shooting problems. But I want to ask you, I would ask you, I, I, I really screwed this up, Pam, because I told you this factoid before the podcast and I should have made you guess. But if you didn't know, how many lob dunks do you would have think, do you think you would have guessed the Thunder had last year? You know, uh, I knew it wasn't many because there has been a yeah. shift obviously in the in in the level of athleticism and sort of highlight reels compared to what the thunder used to have when, when you were covering the team uh the first go round uh so i knew it was going to be a low number um but i was not expecting something below double digits yeah so 8 they were 8 of 10 <laughs> on lob dunk attempts last year yeah they didn't have very many more uh layup attempts either it was very close to that maybe even less i think they made 7 lob layups Something like that. Um, yeah. Only the Warriors were in their range. They made the fewest dunks and layups. The Warriors were in that range. And probably not coincidentally, the Warriors were first and the Thunder were second in dunks and layups off of cuts. Um, and so that to me is sort of interesting. That's an interesting piece about Chet is that one of my favorite things, I rant about this all the time. I love the way basketball parlance changes. I love the way the words change. And so, like, I remember when guys were shot blockers and then they became, like, rim protectors, right? And then I remember when guys were athletic and they were leapers and then they became lob threats and then they became vertical spacers. That's my favorite new thing is vertical space, mm -hmm. the guys who can catch lobs. Um, but Chet gives you that. He gives you that for the first time in a couple of years where you really have that threat. But... Does it change some of that stuff? By necessity, you have to play a little different. Chet gets some shots from somewhere. So we've seen a team that's been exceptional at the cutting, the off-ball action. You're not going to post Chet up and clog up the lane necessarily. That's not going to be a thing you do. But is it going to look different now that you have this pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop guy as opposed to just a bunch of guys who spread the floor and cut? Yeah, and it's definitely, again, some – some added wrinkles to kind of add in because you summed up how the Thunder uh, performed over the past couple of seasons. It was a heavy drive and dish team. And uh, there was a lot of dishing. There was a lot of drives and not a whole lot of making. And, you know, that is improving. And, you know, I, I just think that's going to give OKC some more outlets there. You know, ideally you've got some improvement from, you know, guys like Giddy and guys like J-Dub and, um, but yeah, Chet is just going to add a whole other element here. And so I'm definitely interested in, in getting some of Sam's thought process on this, right? Because um, yep. I, I know that the breaks are, have been applied a little bit. Like we're going to have to relearn some things and and some progress mm -hmm. that we made. We've got to kind of start over. Um, and, and I am more than anything kind of curious how he puts that into words to convey that to the people out there. Right, right. Chet is a... We've talked about this on other podcasts before. Chet is a really good player who I think understands that he's a really good player. And so there's going to be some fit stuff on that side of things too. Just how do you sort of, you know, uh, ingratiate this new guy? How do you get this new guy to fit in? How seamless can you make it? Because you have a guy who last year, you know, you can argue back and forth whether Shea Gildas Alexander is a top five player in the NBA. But he was a top five player in the season last year as voted on. Um, by people who cover the league. So you've just got to figure out how you're going to fit a guy in with a guy like that. And, and Chet is going to have to be the guy who fits in. Like, you know, um, I'm not going to get into a whole fit in versus fit out conversation. Remember that? Um, the whole <laughs> LeBron, Kevin Love thing. But, but yeah. he is going to have to, you know, he'll have to adjust to one of the best players in the league. 
but also one of the best players in the league is going to have to adjust a little bit to having this new wrinkle. As you mentioned, it's going to be this new thing that you can do. Uh, Sam is really good at talking about this stuff. I don't know if his answer will really say anything because as I said, Sam will tell you things and also he'll kind of talk in, in roundabout, you know, sort of uh, GM riddles. Um, but I am interested to see how he addresses that, that topic, the topic of Chet in general, writ large. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously we're talking a lot about stuff on the offensive end and, and some things that he can do. But, you know, what I come away with that's that, that's more imprinted is what he was doing on the defensive end in those summer league games. And, you know, that is where – that's just, just a whole other game changer on that and where he may potentially have a bigger impact on that end than offensively. And I still think you know, Chet is – otherworldly talented with the basketball even if you you know go back to stuff he yeah. was doing at Gonzaga you go back to some of his high school film um you know there's a whole lot to work with there um but I think he can be special defensively which is going to you know possibly open up the thunder to you know get out get some more possessions per game just by you know pushing the ball and getting out on the break um and so it's it I, I do wonder though who is going to take that step back offensively because I mean, mm -hmm. I know we're all sort of sitting around here and saying screaming Lou Dort is I think who probably most people are looking at, you know, the most. Um, but I mean, just beyond like the starting five, I mean, there's going to be, you know, Isaiah Joe coming off the bench. There's going to be Vasilya Micic coming off the bench. Uh, Usman Jang potentially making a, a, a step forward. So, you know, it's nice to have a lot of options. Um, and, and a lot of developing options, but, uh, but yeah, you know, here's, here's another significant one that plays into the whole thing. Yeah. I wrote a story uh, that'll run this week about some of some of the storylines I'm going to be watching going in. And as I was writing it, I was thinking there's like a hundred of these and I, I'm doing four, but there's so mm -hmm. many, I think Lou Dort is such an interesting guy who I don't even mention in that story because there's, there's a lot of stories to tell here. Um, one of the other things when you talk about steps back and, and, you know, who might, adjust to whom and all that kind of stuff that I think is sort of interesting. I was thinking about this uh, over the past couple of days as I was thinking about what to write. If you watch the World Cup, I think who who played in the World Cup and how they come back, I think is sort of, uh, it's going to be worth tracking for a couple of teams. You know, Anthony Edwards looked like a guy ready to make a leap, you know, in those games. He looked like a different kind of guy for Team USA. Tyrese Halliburton, the way he gave uh, Team USA what he gave them off the bench, how's he going to take that to Indiana? Um, Shea was already on the ascent. And so I don't know that, you know, what he did in the World Cup changed the way we look at him at all. You know, I think in those early Canada games where it looked like maybe that little hitch was coming out of his shot and maybe he had worked mm -hmm. some on the – pull-up three-pointer, his numbers in the actual World Cup didn't bear out that there was a big change there, but that's still something I think we're going to look at. But if you look at his scoring and his assists, he was 10th at the World Cup in assists, but over six assists a game. And then you look at Australia, and there's Josh Giddy, who's right behind him in assists per game and also was scoring a lot. And Josh is playing with the ball in his hands, and Shea is playing with the ball in his hands. And this is an old conversation, but it's one that we're probably going to bring up every year that those guys play together, right, is – how is this going to continue to work when Shea is an excellent off-ball player? He's one of the best cutters in the league. He's really good um, at giving the ball up, getting it back, and going and doing something. But he's not – he's at his best with the ball. Uh, and so is Josh Giddy. And I, I do think that will probably come up again. Um, probably going to come up again all the time. I just think until this team is, is a playoff contender and it's winning playoff games, with those two guys playing together, we're going to wonder about this, right? 
And then, you know, J-Dub as well is he showed a lot of promise as like an offensive initiator. And, you know, on one hand, there's 48 minutes per game. And so, you know, everyone can can get a chance to eat, you know, throughout the course of a game. Uh, But, yeah, like, are they going to they're going to have to find some chemistry together, some solid chemistry, you know, playing together, not staggering so much. And, um, you know, Mark Dagnall has kind of got his hands full there because, you know, again, Chet is also another guy that I think is perfectly capable of coming down, initiating some offense and. Yep. Yeah, he's, there's it, it, he's it's, gonna it's be, a stark contrast from the, the Thunder of years past. Yeah, he's going to be a, a sort of a – Chet, I think, is going to be kind of a connective tissue guy offensively, but that doesn't mean he's going to stand there and move the ball. Like he's going to have it in his hands some with a chance to do some things with it. Um, and mm-hmm. so that how that's going to look too. If you look, I was looking at J Dub's numbers. You know, he was a pretty good pick-and-roll ball handler, not great, and pretty small sample size because – that was the nature of the team, right? He is an excellent, excellent off-ball player. He really fits. He's, you know, I've said before that um, my friend Jay Kyle Mann from The Ringer calls him a universal donor. It's like you can just take him off the thunder, implant him on any team in the league, and they get a little better offensively. Uh, maybe defensively too, but certainly offensively because he can do so many things without having the ball in his hands. Um, Giddy is one of those guys who just, he doesn't do quite as much without the ball in his hands. He's still a really good player. And if you look at, you know, him with Shea, there's a lot to like about it, but I think there's always going to be this question. We're going to talk in a few minutes about the idea of, you know, pushing the button or throwing in all your chips or whatever, you know, um, and why the Thunder are a little cautious about that. But I think everybody, until they stop saying it, until there's reason to stop saying it, everybody's going to say, well, eventually, right, they're going to move Josh Giddy and go get some piece that fits this better. Giddy is, he did like wind up as a spot up shooter quite a bit when he didn't have the ball in his hands. And obviously that's his three point shot percentages has increased over last year. And there's hopes that it can continue to climb a little bit more. Um, but that's been the most value there. Um, and, and sort of being like another facilitator, being an outlet that could maybe, you know, swing the pass over to the next guy and, and kind of keep the ball moving a little bit on offense. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be something to continue to watch. And, you know, I, I one of the things we may hear Sam talk about, and I touched upon it earlier, is that they're still going to be finding out some things about this team. Yes, they won 40 games last yep. season. Yes, they were a play-in team. Um, but there's still some things to to learn. And you can go back to the first iteration of the Thunder. You know, they emerged with Jeff Green in the starting lineup, but in order to take that next step, they had to move Jeff Green. And that also not just getting Kendrick Perkins that opened up more opportunity for James Harden. And so, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where they have a lot of things to work with right now, but yeah, you know, throughout the season, they're going to be seeing, okay, does this work? Do does, is there another need we need to fill somewhere and, and, and let that continue to evolve, assuming that they don't wind up gelling, which I think might be the most ideal outcome for them. Yeah. And I I love multiple playmakers. I love lots of guys who can make plays. I think right now, to your point, you don't know yet how this works. If Chet turns out to be a 40% three-point shooter, it makes you look differently at what the rest of the guys can do away from the ball. You know, that's just a a thing that changes the math. I would like to welcome Cason Wallace to the club, who is like, he's kind of the new guy who um, 
everybody's going to say, well, they'll probably just trade Lou Dort, right? Because they have Case and Wallace. And that's going to happen <laughs> mm-hmm. like every time he has a pretty good game. Like every time he comes in, he plays a few minutes, he gives you some nice defensive minutes. I don't know how much he's going to play. But every time he does, that's going to come up to this, this idea of like, is it redundant as opposed to, isn't it good to just have a bunch of guys who do a bunch of stuff? Um, Mm -hmm. and eventually, yes, there's going to be some changes made. Eventually, um, they're going to do some stuff. So we'll talk about that. Sam is going to get asked again, probably about this idea of when do you push the button and when do you push in the chips? And these are things he hates, um, for lots of reasons. You know, he said at, at, in April, you know, uh, that having so much draft capital, so many assets to play with is, is like going into a store and being like, I, oh, I have too much money. You know, like what a problem to have. It's great. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly draft all these players and put them on your roster. It gives you a ton of options. And they'll have lots of options moving forward. They're going to be a team that everybody talks about when they talk about Giannis. Until and unless he signs, uh, you know, an extension in Milwaukee, they're going to be a place people are going to say, well, if you just look on paper, look at all the assets, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, kind of to your point, this is, I mean, this is the second time they've really built a, a team, you know, they, they built the first time with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, and that extended all the way really through the Westbrook trade. Because even though Durant wasn't there, they replaced him after one year with Paul George. That was all kind mm-hmm. of building on one thing. And then they essentially tore that down and they're rebuilding for just the second time now. And they've got a different kind of team, but also like just a ton of adaptability moving forward if they go down the road with this team constructed as it is. And they think, well, what we really needed to do was X they've really got the chance to pivot down the road. So I don't expect Sam to answer and say, yes, we're going to go after a star this year. He's not going to do that. He's going to talk about a measured approach and figuring out when the right time to go is, but man, they're positioned to go when they ultimately decide they want to do it. You know, I remember doing a podcast last summer during, you know, the the dead period last year where I, I went through with our friend McKaylee Barra and you know, identified a lot of potential trade targets for Oklahoma City. And I think we landed on Jalen Brown at the end of the podcast. That didn't happen. And also, like, as soon as I saw Jalen Williams start playing basketball, I'm like, okay, we're good. I think we're good here. And that's the thing is, you know, yes, having that option. And if a Giannis Antetokounmpo comes on the market, obviously, you know, you you are pursuing that path and that avenue to see. Um but it, it doesn't feel like as desperate of a need as it did even a year ago. And so um, they may not have to push the button, so to speak, for an all-star or an all-NBA type guy. Right. You know, pushing the button could be, we need a really high quality role player, you know, that, um, that we can get for a couple of first round picks or, you know, uh, it, it could be something on the smaller side because again, of that young core that OKC has. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, when is that going to happen? It, you know, yeah, I, I understand why Sam might be a little perturbed in getting that question because, uh, you know, only he knows. And it's, you know, also like who is available and what if the guy that they you know would really like to get is not on the market right now, uh, but forces will put him in play in a few more months. It's like, you know, it's so hard to say. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, they're, they're going to see what they have. And I think, you know, maybe maybe they just want to stick with what they have. It's, you know, unrealistic to say that is the final outcome, but if everything they currently have turns out to be what works, run with that and not don't do anything that's substantial. Yeah. And I I think the thing people should think about when you think about, you know, pushing in on a star one, you do it when you, when you don't have two. So if you end up having two stars, 
you end up not needing it. So what you think about is one, think about the first kind of stretch the Thunder had where they were real, you know, perennial contenders. They were always a threat to at least be in the conference finals. There was always that thing that you always you sort of thought they needed. They need one more shooter. They need one more guy in this role or that role. This yep. team is really well positioned to get it down the road. They're positioned to add that one thing they need. And and this goes back to the Chet thing, as most things will, honestly, when we talk about this season, a lot of stuff is going to go back to Chet because he didn't play, because the expectations of him ultimately are really high, and because you have to see how he fits. Chet is going to determine a lot of what the, the, the future moves look like, not in the sense that you might package Chet or somebody else for a star, but some, it might be as simple as, you know what, if we're going to be one of the better teams in the West – um, we might need another body. We might need another big, powerful guy to change up our look a little bit. Not necessarily a guy who starts at center and Chet's at the four, but a guy who gives you the flexibility of putting Chet at the four, who gives you starting five minutes sometimes if you're playing Denver and you just need to roll out that guy to start the game. Great. If you're not and you just need him to, you know, handle business when they bring a bigger guy in off the bench on the other side, like that kind of flexibility. The idea of getting one more shooter. Um, this team doesn't seem like maybe it's going to need one more ball handler, but maybe it needs one more wing defender um, to play some minutes or a different wing defender or whatever. I, I think that, and I don't know how much Sam will say that kind of stuff because that seems pretty specific for him. Um, and he usually is a little more vague, but I do think that's what they've positioned themselves to do. Everybody kind of focuses on, could they get Giannis? Could they get, you know, I always hate saying Carl Towns, but he's going to be like the next guy who probably comes up a lot. Um, people are going to focus on those bigger, bigger names, but they've really put themselves in a position where maybe that is the move down the road. And OKC in the past, you know, there was the, the, the one season where Wes Matthews was bought out and the Thunder really wanted uh, to go get him. He wound up going signing with Indiana instead. Um, another year they signed Markeith Morris you know, uh, mid-season. Uh, obviously, they had like the Derek Fishers, the Karan Butlers, and some of that was just born out of not really having enough on hand to go out and make that type of a move. They had to go out and make, you know, like a trade for a Dion Waiters, who was a bit of a distressed asset with Cleveland that they could acquire inexpensively, um, not just in terms of the quality of the pick, but the number of picks. It only was like one first-round pick to go get him because they were not stockpiled like they were. This, like they are this time around. Um, Ennis Cantor slash Ennis Freedom was a similar situation. It was it was a buy low situation, uh, a, a guy whose contract they could control. So, you know, uh, they had Russ, they had Kevin. We always we always felt like at the time that they were a player or two short and just didn't quite have enough to go out and and fill that need. And they did the best they could. Randy Foy here and there, uh, you know, uh, a Kyle Singler. Let's try that. But when Kyle Singler doesn't work out don't really have another option to turn to this team sort of addresses that to where, yes, it takes yeah. two to tango if you're going out and making a trade, but now they have the ability to go out and, and push and be a little bit more aggressive and going and finding the guys that they think they need. Yeah. And, and overpaying for those guys, if they have to, that's, you know, that's the thing people like yeah. to fixate on Presty winning all the trades and he'll win his fair share. 
Um, but I think you might move into a stage here as you're building this team, especially after you see what this team is this year and you look moving forward. So I'm talking more about next summer than this trade deadline. Although who knows, because we don't know that this team won't make a Sacramento like leap or something like that and be in the mix mm -hmm. to be a, a host in the first round or whatever, and might want to go do something, might want to push in, not for the star, but for those little pieces, they are going to have the opportunity if they want to, to, overpay a little bit. And sometimes that's what you got to do if you really want to get the thing that you feel like you have to have. Um, I, I think back we'll talk to, about, uh, I was, I was going to say that, you know, I think back to the Cleveland Cavaliers, they traded two first round picks for Timothy Mozgov at one point. And by any yeah. measure that is an overpay, but it's a guy that Cleveland needed. And it's a guy that got them to the finals that helped get them. Obviously LeBron was the driving force there, but you know, Mozgov was a huge piece of that team going forward. So if you go back and look, you know, Oh my gosh, two first round picks for Timothy Mozgov. What are you thinking? But you know, it doesn't matter in the end. It filled the need they needed to have filled. Yeah. The other thing I think is worth noting the NBA changes fast. Like it happens overnight sometimes. The the Thunder during that first process, the league completely flipped on them. Remember that Shaq is one of the best players in the league when they're starting that process. The Shaq and Kobe duo is still mm -hmm. together, right? When they start this process. And then Steph Curry comes along and the league is just a completely different place. We're not going to see anything, I don't think, as revolutionary as Steph Curry. But you know what? You you need a guy who can guard Jokic probably if you're going to get to where you want to get. And that may change what you need. Um, other things happen. Basketball evolves so quickly. And the team, the best teams change so quickly because one or two player movement things can change things. So I, I do – I love where they are in terms of their flexibility. I don't think anybody in the league is where they are in terms of what they have now and what they have moving forward. New Orleans, if Zion is healthy, which is a giant if, um, and Zion is – together and doing things the right way and all that stuff. Also a bit of an, if like they, they're pretty well positioned, Utah has a really nice, uh, you know, stockpile of stuff going forward. And they got Danny Ainge, you know, is going to deal, but I don't think anybody has quite the same current talent and promising young talent and the asset mix. So that's, that's a, it's a great position to be in. The last thing I want to talk about real quickly that I think will come up is you know, Sam is a process guy. He talks about the process. He's going to talk about it. You know, I know that Sam Hinkie like trademarked it, but it's a piece for everybody who's who's building the way the Thunder built. Um, I think there's going to be some talk about what exactly this season looks like as a success. And again, he's not going to give you a win number and he's not going to say you got to be in the playoffs or you got to win a round or you got to make the play in and get to uh, the actual playoffs or whatever. But I do think what's interesting about this team, like I said, I don't know that they won't make like a Sacramento type jump. They've got really good pieces and we don't know how good Chet's going to be. And the, the red shirt year has proven really beneficial to a bunch of guys uh, over the course of the NBA. Blake Griffin, probably the greatest example of that. Um, so I don't know that they won't make a jump, but they do have the opportunity, I think, to be a better team and not get to 40 wins. I mean, I think, a, I think they could be a better team and be at 39 or 38 um, because man, this West. The, the West, the way it looks right now. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's definitely going to be challenging to start the season. And, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth over this, obviously talking with you and, you know, talking with uh, Andrew select and everyone, you know, through our OKC dream team pods over the summer. And, you know, I can definitely see the argument that, well, this team is so young. 
And it's hard to win, you know, with with a rookie center, even though you put the qualifier there. You know, he's got the Blake Griffin slash Ben Simmons sort of benefit of, of missing a year. By the way, Ben Simmons used to be really good. Um, yeah. And so even though they are young, you know, this is a different kind of young from last season or the season before. You know, they are they are trotting out more talented, younger players now. And Shea has emerged to that type of a level where, you know, I, I think winning is going to some uh, sort of come along with him. So, um, you know, I, I have gone back and forth. I still think that there's going to be an improvement in win total based on last season, despite all of this, because again, I think they're, they're good enough. Um, but yeah, we never have been able to, to crack and figure out what, you know, what's the magic uh, number that, you know, whatever, whatever spreadsheets are put together, whatever database uh, spits out a number where Sam goes, okay, this is, this is better than it was last season. And I'm content with this, or uh, I feel like we took steps back in a certain area. It's not always in the win loss, um, but you know, you're not completely crazy for thinking that this team could have a, you know, a a higher uh, margin of victory for this coming season potentially, and yet come out with less than 40 wins just because of what's happened around them. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, I think you look at it, it's, I don't know, I think there's probably two and a half really bad teams going in to the season. I, I'm going to give Houston the half team because I'm I'm still confused about what the Rockets are. I don't know what to make of them. Um, yeah. San Antonio is going to be bad, um, even with Victor Wimanyama. They're going to beat some people on some nights because he's going to have great nights. And also, he's a rookie and he's going to be terrible some nights. And they're going to lose a lot of games. Uh, and they're going to lose a lot of games when he is good. Um and then, you know, Portland is is probably not going to be very good one way or the other. And I expect they're going to be not very good without Damian Lillard. Somebody else will be bad because somebody will be worse than we think. Somebody will get hit with injuries. Lots of things can happen. Lots of things will change. Um, but the flip side of the West that I think we don't talk about enough is after Denver, I, I don't know who's number two. You know, I don't know who's the second best team in the West. Maybe it's Phoenix. That makes some sense. Um, but I don't know. And how many games are the Phoenix guys going to get together and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, so like I'm not suggesting necessarily that I think the Thunder are in a great shape to be the number two seed. But I do think that two through 10 are really pretty open. Uh, and there's a lot of room to make hay. I mean, I think there's a chance to really make a climb just because a lot of those teams, I feel like, are going to be pretty bunched up. Look, the summer is all about optimism. So obviously, I mean, the Lakers <laughs> on paper had a tremendous offseason. They really did. Uh, is that going to continue to translate, you know, after they traded Westbrook last year and so the, the, the momentum that they built? Possibly. Um, we can also wonder, like, are LeBron and Anthony Davis going to be able to, you know, stay together for an entire season? The Clippers, on paper, they're going to take the season more seriously, reportedly. Um, but again, it's like that sounds good in theory, and we know how good Kawhi and Paul George can be when healthy, but it just hasn't been the case. Um, yet you don't want to count these guys out just yet. You don't want to count a Phoenix out just yet, even though I question their depth, especially in the postseason. But in the regular season, sure, those top three guys can take you to a lot of wins when they play. Um, and, you know, it could very well turn out to be like, you know, Sacramento had a tremendous regular season last year. and you know, then got them as far as the first round. And then that's when Golden State was like, okay, fine, we'll play. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll start taking the game seriously yeah. now. And that could be, I think, we'll an advantage for, for OKC. Game. Yeah, yeah, for once, because they were yeah. so horrible last season on the road. But 
that could yes. be an advantage for OKC where you have some of these other teams that are sort of pacing themselves a little bit. And this young Thunder squad doesn't know anything about pacing themselves right now. And, you know, they, they could they could catch some teams some nights just by coming out and being young and <laughs> athletic and energetic. So, Ham, I'll ask you before we go. There's a bunch of other stuff I didn't get into here. I know Sam's going to get asked questions about the roster numbers, um, which he's not going to answer uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> he's not going to say, oh, yes, here is the move we will make that will get us under the roster mm-hmm. number. And I think once camp starts, we might just spend a whole pod talking about the roster at some point. So we're not going to get into that. I suspect he will get asked a question about the arena. Um, and if nobody does, I might. Um, I think it's notable because he's the most uh, senior um, and, um, and most, uh, I don't know, he's the highest ranking Thunder official who is forward facing. Um, you know, Shea Gildas Alexander is the face of the franchise, but Sam is kind of the face of that part of the franchise. I don't know that he'll have a lot to say about a new arena. Uh, it's not really his area, and he may very well just say that it's not really his area. He, he does punt on things like that from time to time. But is there anything else that you are particularly interested in? whether it's something you'd like to ask him if you're there or you hope somebody asks him and, and what you want to hear him answer. Uh, I'm really interested in the Facilier Micic of it all, um, mm, given yeah. that, you know, the Thunder deliberately acquired his rights from Philadelphia. Uh, they tried, uh, allegedly tried to bring him over in, even when they were rebuilding. Um, and they've wanted him as part of this team for a while. And, you know, considering his age and the position he plays, it, what does Sam envision there? You know, it could just be like, he's a really good basketball player and we need another creator. And, you know, he could have some valid reasons for that. But obviously this is a guy that's been, you know, he's been fascinated with for a few years. So that's really interesting to me. Um, You know, other than that, um, there's going to, there's probably going to be some questions about Alexei Pokashevsky. And again, Sure. We're not going to get a straightforward answer, um, but I'd kind of like yeah. to just see what he says, given that, you know, Poku is up for an extension. Uh, and, and as you've wrote about, uh, it's just been a series of, of unfortunate events with him. Um, and sometimes you can sort of pick up a little bit of a tone just in the answer. And so what are we going to pick up, if anything, uh, when he's asked yeah. about Poku and his potential extension? Yeah. One of the things about the Presti preseason thing, they're all they're each a little different. Each Presti uh, media availability has its has its own. Like the the postseason one is usually like crazy long. He goes over a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things I think is fun about the preseason one is whatever he says, you can kind of go back to it and you can see where he left some hints. Um, you can see just uh, the things that he said about progress and and how those things play out, whether they were accurate or not. And it's just a fun thing to kind of revisit over the course of the season. I end up doing that a lot um, when he speaks in the preseason, when I covered the team in the past, and I'm sure I will do it again this year, just sort of say, let's check in on kind of not, not campaign promises exactly, but let's check in on, on what Sam was saying uh, in October and how does it look in December, January and, and on and on. Uh, I think is really interesting. So that's just fun. I always like when he speaks, I know sometimes people get frustrated that he doesn't give the most direct answers, but I think you'll find that most NBA GMs are playing things close to the vest for very good reasons. Um, so I always enjoy it. I enjoy listening to him talk. I enjoy kind of breaking down what we talked about. We'll do a lot of that. As I said, you and I will get together again, um, hopefully on your podcast or mine, and just kind of 
once we've seen the team a little bit and we've talked to some people, we'll, we'll kind of talk about the, the roster crunch. I do, I am really interested in, in Mitzic and I want to talk to him and just kind of get his perspective as well. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's an exciting time. Like I said, this is the slow time in the NBA. It's August and the very sort of beginning and middle of September. And now, you know, the roller coaster, we're up on the top of the hill. We're just about to take off uh, and pick up speed. So I'm super fired up. I can't wait to get started. Uh, Ham, thanks for being here. Appreciate your time. Uh, and for all of you guys, again, go to selloutcrowd.com slash OBI and reserve your spot to donate blood um, for our partnership with the Bob Moore Auto Group and the Oklahoma Blood Institute. We will be back here later this week to talk about what Sam Presti said. We will talk to you then.